Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. We're going to start at verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood by, when they heard him say that, this, they said, this man calls for Elijah. And so notice the spiritual reception of the people by him. They even weren't even sure what he was saying. He's calling out to God. They think he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on the reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, well, leave him alone. Let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. Now, I want to draw our attention to what Jesus said here. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because when you just read it like that, you think, man, Jesus is suffering on the cross, and he is. He's saying God has forsaken him, God has turned his back on him, and God did turn his back on Jesus, so he'd never have to turn his back on you. But when we just look at it this way, we see one level of what Jesus went through. But to understand more of what was happening at that moment, you have to understand Jesus was quoting a psalm. While he was on the cross in the last hours before his death, before he's raised from the dead three days later, he's standing on the word. Now, see, Jesus is our example in everything. But imagine what he was going through. Imagine the sin of the entire world poured out on him. A more, imagine the sickness and disease of the entire world poured out on him. The depression and the depravity of the entire world poured out on him. Suffering there on the cross. After the beating he's going through, he's on the cross suffocating. And as he's going through this horrible, horrendous time that we can hardly imagine, that we can barely comprehend, that we could barely think about, he's standing on the word. And that has to be some consolation and encouragement to us that no matter what we go through, as we stand on the word, the end will always be victory. Yes, it may be unpleasant. Yes, it may be horrible. Yes, we may go through a lot. But as we stand on the word, we know the end of the story. Just like we may sing songs about when Sunday comes. But the thing is, we know Sunday is coming. We know there is victory on the other side. So in the meantime, we stand on the word of God, expecting God to keep his end of our covenant. So let's see what Jesus was saying, because Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, is only the first verse. And when you read through the psalm, you'll see other things that happened to and what's happening to Jesus. So go with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. 
Psalm 22, starting with verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you hear not. And in the night season, I'm not silent. But you are holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you did deliver them. They cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. Doesn't that sound like what they're saying around the cross? But you are he that took me out of the womb and did make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from the womb. You are my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. That's what happened when he was on the cross. They had hung him on this cross, and when they dropped it into the ground, his bones became out of joint. None of his bones were broken, but they're out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue cleaves into my jaws. And you have brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Yes, talking about Jesus, his hands and his feet have been pierced. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. We know this was going around the cross when Jesus was on there. We read from the gospel accounts how they took Jesus' garment and they didn't want to cut it. No, the other garments they cut pieces of, but because Jesus' garment was so expensive and such great quality, they're gambling for it while Jesus is suffocating on the cross. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for you heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye seed of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither has he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pray, I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord and seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he has done this. The Amplified Classic Edition says in verse 31, They shall come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born, that he has done it, that it is finished. That's what the Amplified Classic Edition says. When you look at the Hebrew of verse 31, that's what 
he has done this means it is finished and we know that when we look at the different gospel accounts when jesus cried out with a loud voice he yelled out it is finished there's so many things that were finished at that moment but one of the things you realize when you look at psalm 22 is jesus was standing on the word of god trusting god for god to bring him out of the situation he was going to we know he's about to after he dies descends into the depths of hell but we know how he's going to throw off all principality and power after he's energized by the Holy Ghost. The scripture tells us he was raised from the dead by the glory of God. He was raised from the dead by the Spirit of God. And so Jesus' suffering was not even ending on the cross. There was still more to come. But in the whole time, he's standing on the word, trusting in God, putting his hope and his faith in God to deliver him. Go with me back to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks did rent. Now, when we talk about this veil, it's also called, another translation, the curtain. It's four inches thick. It's at least 18 feet wide. 18 feet. It separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the most holy place. You know, Exodus 26, 31 through 33, talk about this veil or this curtain. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. It's for the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood. Overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from the clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So at the moment of Jesus' death, we see there's an earthquake, but also the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place is torn in two. I want to read you something. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Because this is very important, not just for Good Friday, but for our everyday life, realizing the veil that kept us from the holy of holies, from the most holy place, has been torn in two. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, we'll read it once again from the New Living Translation. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, when we think about this, before we talk more about the veil, it says Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Well, who is Melchizedek? Go with me quickly to Genesis 14. Genesis 14. And give you some backdrop here. 
In Genesis 14, some of us are familiar with the story when Abraham and those trained in his house and those he was in league with went to war and took on the baddest army of the day and took them out in nighttime warfare. It was an impossible situation. We'll see even here that God had given him the victory. And so after the victory and the kings are gathering again, when you look at verse 18 of Genesis 14, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. Notice these bread and wine, these are covenant elements. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand. Or in other words, he gave you the victory. And Abraham gave him tithes of all. So one of the things I want you to see about Melchizedek, this ministry of a high priest, he's the king of Jerusalem, and he's the high priest of God. He came to Abraham. Abraham did not come to him. Melchizedek came to him. And Melchizedek came before him bringing covenant elements. He brought him the covenant elements, and he blessed him. Abraham received the blessing, received the covenant elements, and then paid tithes. So this is an example of the high priestly ministry of Jesus that we're a part of today, that Jesus came to us. He brought us the covenant elements. He is the one when we tithe, we pay tithes too. We receive from him, from his high priestly ministry. And so one of the things we see this example of Melchizedek bringing the bread and the wine, we see Jesus doing this symbolically and physically. Go with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, setting up where I want to end tonight and going on Sunday. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out unto the Mount of Olives. So Jesus takes these covenant elements, brings them to the table with his disciples, with his friends. And what is he doing? He's initiating the new covenant. He was telling them what this bread represents, what this wine represents. What does it represent? His body and his blood. He's telling them what's about to happen at the next day and what is going to inaugurate in their lives. Now go with me to Hebrews 9. So we see Jesus in this ministry of Melchizedek, this ministry of the high priest coming to us, this high priest bringing covenant elements to us, this high priest blessing us. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 7. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7. 
But into the second, this is talking about the most holy place, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances and posed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Let's skip down to verse 19 for the sake of time. For when Moses had spoken every precept, to all the people according to the law he took the blood of the calves and of the goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying this is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood there is no remission it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet as that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So what did Jesus do with his blood? One of the things you remember him saying to Mary after his resurrection is, don't hold on to me, don't grab on to me, because I haven't ascended to the holy place. What was he doing? Offering his blood. Now, one of the things you see about the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, it says it was a shadow or a pattern of what was in heaven. Well, how did they know what to build was in heaven? Moses, when he was on the mountain, saw into heaven, and God showed him what to build. So Jesus, after his resurrection, presented his blood upon the mercy seat of heaven for the remission of our sins. He went into the holy place, the holiest of holies in heaven itself and poured out his blood. Now, why is that so important? Go with me to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool and for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for after that he had said before this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days saith the Lord I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more Now where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Said all this to say this. When Jesus died, the veil on earth was torn showing us that the way into the holy place was available. Jesus himself ascended into heaven, poured out his blood, so that we have direct access to the Father. In the old days, under the old covenant, only the high priest can go to the holy of holies once a year. And he had to make sure he did everything right so that he could survive. The rest of the people, the rest of the priest, were still in the holy place. And other people were just in some of the inner courts and the outer courts. And then there are other people outside of those courts. And so there were levels of access people had depending on who they were. But Jesus, through his sacrifice, Jesus, through his suffering, Jesus, through the shedding of his blood, tore the veil forever. So you don't have to go through someone to get to God. You can go to God yourself. There's no more veil between you and God. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, boldly come to the throne of grace to receive grace, mercy, and help in your time of need. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to wait till Sunday comes. You can walk in and get whatever you need from God right now. It doesn't have to be in your morning time of prayer. It's any time you need to get into the presence of God, you can go into the presence of God because Jesus made a way. And you're not supposed to tiptoe in. You're supposed to go in boldly because you belong there. The blood of Jesus made a highway for you to get to God. I'll say that again. The blood of Jesus made a highway for you to God. And there's nothing from God keeping you from getting close to him. He tore the veil. The blood made the way. It made and reserved a place for you. It says Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And you read Ephesians, we're seated in Christ Jesus at the Father's right hand. So not only do you have access to the Father, you have a seat next to him because of the blood of Jesus. And because of these things, we have to stop acting like there's a veil. Too many Christians, born again, Holy Ghost filled, word taught Christians act like there is a veil between them and God. And say, well, it's so hard for me to experience God. And it's because I didn't do this. I didn't pray enough this week. I didn't read the word enough this week. I did this. I did this. It's so hard for me to get to God. Stop that. There's no more veil. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, there's no more veil. God is not keeping himself away from you. He opened the door so that whoever wants to can come. It said, let us draw near. So now that God has done all the hard part, it's our job to draw near. You know, it says elsewhere in the scripture in the New Testament, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. See, you are experiencing as much of God as you want to. I'll say that again. You are experiencing as much of God as you want to. Because the ball's now in your court. How much you want to experience of him 
is up to you. He's done everything available. He's not far from you. Those of you who are believers, who are born again, he lives on the inside of you. So what do you need to do? Draw near. How do you draw near? With your worship, with your praise, with the words of your mouth, with spiritual sacrifices. What are spiritual sacrifices? We see them in the word of God. It's doing good. It's being a blessing to others. It's serving. It's doing what God has called you to do. Doing these things, you're drawing near to God. And so you should have an expectation of experiencing him in your everyday life. Yes, we call our experiences experiences because we want you to experience God. We want you to experience his word, experience his presence, experience his love. But it's to get you in the mindset that you can experience God every single day of your life. He said he is with you and never leave you nor forsake you. So what do you need to start doing? Acknowledging him. Father, I thank you that you're with me. I thank you that there's no veil. I thank you that I can boldly come to the throne of grace right now and receive grace and mercy and help in my time of need. I thank you that I can take my place seated at your right hand in heavenly places because the blood has made a way for me. Yes, the blood has washed away all your sins. And that's a lot of times what we focus on today. But today my message to you is to remember the blood tore the veil. God is not keeping himself at a distance from you. God didn't say you have to stay in the outer courts. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your history is. There's no more veil. You can get to as close to God as you want to. And he is so wonderful. He is so good. He is so kind. He is so faithful. He is so consistent. Why wouldn't you want to get as close as possible and make it your lifetime journey to draw near to him. The scripture also tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So as you seek him, you get everything else. Didn't you say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you? So with him is everything you need. And some of you have counted yourself unworthy of receiving the blessings of God because of mistakes you made. And so you live like you're in the outer courts when God has opened the door for you to receive everything. Remember, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, the priest who came to you and blessed you. You have the same type of priest. Jesus has come to you to bless you. And it even says in Acts chapter 3 how God sent Jesus to bless you. And where does the blessing begin? And turning you away from your sins. God loves you. God wants you to be blessed more than you want to be blessed. You have to even have to see that the first communion, the first Lord's table instituted was on the Passover, which had the backdrop of them coming out of Egypt, them being delivered and walking into a great victory. They've had 400 years of setback, but they're about to walk into the greatest comeback that they had ever imagined or experienced. And a lot of times we say, well, you know, one day this will be better. One day my life will get better. One day I'm just waiting for my season. I'm just waiting for my time. I'm telling you, your time is now. Because even if you are in a tough season and you're hanging on to the word, because you have access to God, you can go to him and get whatever you need in this season. See, we looked at this a little bit on Faith in the Morning this week. When Jesus talked to Mary and Martha, and Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And they said, but 
Yes, I know he will rise at the last day, at the day of resurrection. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Didn't he say that? Too often, we put something on a future day that we can receive now by faith in Jesus. So I want to challenge your mind for a second. What have you put out to a future day that you can receive now if you put your faith in Jesus? What have you said one day this will happen? One day this will turn around. One day Jesus will fix it when you can actually receive that now. There's no more veil. What's keeping you from receiving God's best today? There's no more veil. Draw near to the most intimate relationship you've ever had with God and receive the fullness of everything he has for you. He's a good, good father. You're loved by him, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.